What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of CTA's podcast. Today, our special guest, we are grateful and beyond blessed to have Penn State's assistant head coach, defensive recruiting coordinator, and cornerbacks coach, Terry Smith. Terry, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Appreciate you guys having me. We appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to us as well. Um, first question, I guess I would I'll, I'll ask you is, what have you been doing basically during this COVID-19 pandemic? So, you know, we, we've been doing a, a lot of Zoom meetings with our current players, uh, making sure that those guys are first safe and healthy uh, within their own families. Uh, and then we've also been doing uh, Zoom meetings, installing our defense. Um, the offensive staff is installing, you know, obviously the offense as well. Uh, and then we're doing a lot of recruiting. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of FaceTimes, a lot of Zoom calls with recruits and prospects. Uh, we, we've had a pretty good spring so far as Penn State with commitments. And, you know, we're getting far ahead on 2022s and even 2023s. Uh, and in some cases, there's some 24s popping up already. So, you know, recruiting is big right now. Unfortunately, we can't get anyone on campus. So the Zooms are, are all that we can. And so we're utilizing them to the fullest. Okay, so with the COVID, with everything kind of being shut down, like, so what's more like, what would be one of the biggest things an athlete could do to kind of get coaches' attention and kind of make themselves stand out during the downtime? Well, one of the biggest things is, you know, we're, we, we look at film from last season and that gives us a gauge as to where that player was almost a year ago. And unfortunately, we didn't have the opportunity to go out this spring and to witness spring practice or spring workouts or uh, spring sports like track or baseball or those sort of things. So one, one of the things that that uh, we look forward to now is videos of their workout. You know, guys are still going to the gym or, or still mm -hmm. going to the field. Um, you know, I coach the DBs, and so guys are sending me footage of, you know, their footwork drills, their, their uh, pedaling drills, ball skills, uh, just things like that. And, and so guys are even getting creative now where they're showing – uh, tape measures so we can gauge their height uh, getting on a scale we can see their weight and you can see okay a kid was 6'2 220 last year and now he's six three and a half and he's 245 uh, you know without us being able to visually see that there's no way for us to gauge it and you know sometimes that's the ultimate decision that you're looking to make on a kid can he get big enough or has he grown big enough to make a decision on him. So if you can give us more visuals, uh, that, that would be tremendous. It helps in the evaluation process. It's all about information. The more information we can get and diagnose, the better we can make a decision whether we think a, a certain student athlete fits or not. Yeah, um, Coach, I would say like during this process though, like all these athletes are just like becoming creative and just find ways to like stay in shape and like work out. And you've obviously have seen like some of the things as well. Um, wanted, we didn't do this at the beginning of this episode, but we want to congratulate you once again on uh, your Penn State team winning the Cotton Bowl back in December. 
and it was probably such a big deal for you guys and you guys probably have high expectations as well so could you just tell us like the expectations your team has for 2020 yeah thank you uh yeah we we, we finished this the season pretty strong with a good cotton bowl win over memphis um you know like any season ultimately we we just want to maximize whatever our potential is to be good uh, we feel like we have a really good football team coming back. We feel like we got a lot of leadership uh, coming back, a lot of veteran players that have a lot of experience. And so our goal every year is to go one and know for the week. You know, we don't want to look ahead at, at a Big Ten title or, you know, getting into the playoffs or New Year's Six. We just want to start the season one and oh. And and if we can do that on a weekly basis, we feel like everything else will take care of itself. And so, you know, as we're preparing and, and trying to, you know, through this new normal, get our guys ready to go through the summer uh, and then the fall, you know, it's just about one and one. And, and currently, you know, our biggest goal right now is, is to try to get back to football, you know, to get back to being a team, to get back to the locker room so we can build camaraderie and togetherness as a unit and you know obviously first and foremost safety is is our major concern uh with COVID-19 and so you know we'll, we'll take one step at a time but once we get back to the field you know it's all about one and oh you know can we win that first game and then from there the chips will start to fall as they may yeah I think the waiting games kind of I think everyone can agree to that in some shape or form so kind of switch it up a little bit. So back in the day, for some of our younger people that follow us, in the 80s, you were a star quarterback for Gateway, had a lot of success. What was it like going against some of those North Hills teams? Uh, so, you know, those games still rank as some of the, the all-time best in the WPI history. Uh, North Hills was always physical. They were always tough. They were always well-coached and you knew you better put your hard hat on to, to play those guys. Um, it was always a battle. Um, from my sophomore year to senior year, I played them three straight years in the playoffs, and I don't think a score ever got into double digits. You know, it was like 6-2 as a, as a sophomore. It was like 0-0 zero, zero or something as a, as a junior, and then whatever to 7-6 to six as a senior. So – it was a defensive battle. It was hard fought. Um, and that's how it was, you know. So, you know, it was always a great challenge. We always look forward to playing those guys. And, um, you know, Coach McCurry versus Coach Anna Marino, two legends, two Hall of Fame coaches, uh, you know, putting their best foot forward and always great players on the field. We had Curtis Bray and Dell Banks who went to Pitt and they had Jim Smithco and Eric Rinke and I mean Chris Caesar, a, a list of guys. So it was just big time football that, uh, you know, everyone went out and competed hard and just uh, let the chips fall. And, you know, we were fortunate to, to win my senior year and win my sophomore year. Um, I always told Coach Pete Anna Moreno if I was quarterback in my junior year, I think we would have won then too. So. <laughs> Coach, take us through that ch like ch championship game against North Hills your senior year. It's still considered that game's still considered probably like one of the best championship games, and it's been like 
how long since that game was played. Yeah. Yeah, that's like an ancient game. Like a lot of kids born today, they don't know anything about that game. So, you know, I think they said there was like close to 30,000 people in attendance to it, the old Three River Stadium. Uh, it, was, it was a battle. I mean, it was so physical. Yards were stingy to get. Uh, two great defenses. Um, you know, we, we made a couple plays in, in the second half and – and we took a 7-0 lead, and then, you know, North Hills fought right back and marched down the field late in the game, and they scored a touchdown. And then it was the almighty decision, you know. Last year we tied 0-0, and, you know, Coach McCurry said, no, not this year. There's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. And he went for two, and fortunately enough for us, uh, Gibby Gigalotti intercepts the two-point uh, conversion and seals the victory for, for us. So... You know, that was, the, that was the last championship up until these most recent years where uh, Coach Hall has won two WPL championships in the last couple of years. So uh, it, it, it was a long drought between those championships, but Coach Hall has the Gators back and uh, rolling again. Oh, yeah, they're back, definitely. Coach, um, North Hills was ranked that year number one by USA Today. Do you think that – your team knowing that they were ranked number one in the country, did that just give your team like more like energy and like more motivation to say, oh, let's beat these guys? Yeah, we took the underdog approach. You know, we're, we're feeling like, you know, when we were sophomores, we beat those guys. And then the year prior, we tied those guys. So we had never lost to them. And so we're like, you know, why, why do they get all this – you know, acclaim and stardom and being ranked and, uh, you know, and we were undefeated as well. So, you know, we just felt disrespected and, you know, and, but none of that matters, you know, because ultimately you got to go out and perform. And, you know, like we're all sitting here watching the Chicago Bulls story, The Last Dance, and, you know, we're, we're looking at Michael Jordan and what motivated him. At the end of the day, he had to go out and perform every single night and that's what we had to do you know we could be mad and upset and use the underdog but at the end of the day that night in Heinz Field we had to go out and beat North Hills and that's what we did. The last dance so I mean just speaking about that really quick so what's been your favorite part from that the last four weeks? Uh, I tell you I'm, I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan so I grew up in his era he was he was the guy you know so uh, you know, I just love his competitiveness, and I love how he challenged his teammates in practice. He didn't accept mediocrity. He didn't accept that they weren't given all that they had because he knew what it took, and he had to develop the guys around him to know what it takes to win championships. And uh, his competitiveness is unparalleled. It's, it's his drive. Uh, his motivation to win, to succeed. I mean, there's so many episodes and scenes through it that man, I'll probably watch that thing for the rest of summer. I mean, it's just, and I, and, and I try to utilize and get clips to, to give to my position guys so they understand it's not so much about basketball. This is about life. This is, these are things that make you successful. You can look at any great human being, whether it's Bill Gates or, you know, a different sport, Tiger Woods, just whoever, there, there's certain 
common, common denominators that drive these people to be beyond great. And, you know, he clearly is one of the all-time greats that uh, there was a motivation behind him. He, he would make things up in his head as if someone was talking smack to him. And then that drove him because he believed in it and, and it motivated him. So, you know, there's always a chip on the great ones and, and they, they motivate themselves and, and push themselves. Yeah, I just love the in-depth look just because, like, kind of what you said is to see what drove him so hard and just kind of getting the different scopes of it all. That's been – that's stuck out to me. No doubt. No doubt. Coach, as a player, just in, like, college and high school and even professionally, talking about Michael Jordan and the chip he had on his shoulder, what would you say motivated you to get, like, where you're at in life and, like, what drove you on? So as an athlete, I was always the smallest player on every team that I ever played on, from midget football to junior high football to varsity to college to pro, was always the smallest, bar none. And so my dad taught me at a young age that I couldn't feel sorry for myself, I couldn't lay on the field and show weakness or, or pain. Um, I had to suck it up because everyone around me was looking like, well, if he got hurt, oh, he's, he's little, he's supposed to get hurt, so get rid of him. And so, you know, I couldn't show that. My dad taught me that. So no matter what, I had to create toughness. You know, I had to, since I was small, I had to be elusive to get away from people. So, you know, I just, that, that was my chip. You know, I felt like everyone, no matter who they were, looked at me as the little guy and they're going to take advantage of me and I couldn't be bullied. So, you know, I played hard. I played to the best of my abilities and, uh, and I prepared myself, you know, I prepared to be tough and, and athletic and, and, you know, talented, you know, I played quarterback my whole life through high school. Then my junior year, I have to play DB. And so I learned that. And then I go back to quarterback my senior year. And then when I go to college, I switched to receiver. So, you know, being an athlete, you just work at it. And, and you like for me, I had the chip on my shoulder. I'm going to prove the world wrong because I know everyone thinks I won't make it. And I just had to make sure that I, I did that. And even now in, in coaching, you know, I, I'm, I'm so driven and motivated to give back to this game. You know, the game has given me so much. Penn State has given me and my family so much. And I just want to give back. I just want to share with my players my experiences, how to help make those guys' experiences bigger and better than mine. And, and that's my reward. That's my gift. That's why God blesses me, because my heart's right for young people. And I just want to see more young people succeed and surpass anything that I even touch. So, you know, I just want my guys to have success. And uh, that's what motivates me now. Amen to that, especially coming from someone like myself who's not that tall either. Amen to that. Because I can relate to all the mindset and everything. Um, Coach, take us through when you were in high school and you got recruited by Penn State and, like, how that all happened and, like, how you felt after, like, getting that offer and all that. 
So recruiting back then is completely different than recruiting today. Um, you know, you didn't get recruited then back in the day until your senior season. Uh, you know, we, we were having a great season. We're probably, heck, the season's almost over. Um, as a matter of fact, the season was over. We won a WPIO championship. And Tom Bradley, who's coaching with the Steelers now, who's a longtime Penn State assistant, comes to watch me play basketball in December. And I had no offer there. And that was the year Penn State eventually won the national championship in the Fiesta Bowl. And so they were having a great year, real selective into who they wanted. And Tom Bradley comes to watch me play basketball in December. He goes back and tells Joe Paterno, this is the right guy. He, he, he's a fit, you know. And then they ended up offering me in December. I took a visit in January and, and then committed shortly thereafter. Uh, and they were the national champions. So I'm elated. I'm on top of the world. I'm going to the national champion, Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, I'm going to the best program in, in the country. And, and it all just fit. You know, my dad is a Penn State alumni. And so, you know, it was just a perfect fit. And, and I was excited. You know, I was recruited by all the Eastern teams, the kind of the former Big East, you know, Pitt and West Virginia and Rutgers and all those guys and had a couple Midwest offers from Wisconsin and Missouri that I took visits to. But when, when Penn State came knocking, it was a no-brainer. And it's still the best decision of my life. Well, that's awesome, man. That's just the whole ride. So I guess with that, how big is it that like these athletes like play multiple sports or kind of showcase like their versatility when you guys are looking at them? I, I think it's, it's, it's huge. You know, in today's times, a lot of athletes are starting to specialize. And, and that's okay if that's what they choose. For, for us, we really like multi-sport athletes. We, we love the football wrestler, the football track kid, the football baseball kid, the football basketball kid, because those other sports show and train you in a different way. Basketball creates change of direction, suddenness, and quickness. Wrestling teaches grappling and your hand placement and toughness. It's probably the toughest sport to train for on the planet. Track obviously gives you great speed, and even the big guys give you explosiveness in your hips and the throws. Uh, and the javelin and the shot and the disc and things. And, and baseball gives you great hand-eye coordination, you know, great change of direction if you're outfield. Um, so, so every sport can give you something different. And then the ultimate for us is when these kids play multiple sports, we know for a fact they're never close to being tapped out because they haven't dwindled into a specific training yet. They go from, okay, football in the fall to basketball in the winter or wrestling, and then they go to baseball or track in the spring. Well, they never even had an off season of weight training. They never even had an off season of just letting their body heal, grow, get bigger, get stronger. And then we know once they get to us, man, it's like a slingshot. These guys are gonna accelerate, and grow and get better. And, and sometimes the challenge for us is guys that specialize, they're tapped out. They are good right now, but they don't get much better. And, and if we have a choice, we, we prefer the guy that has an upside who's trajecting upward 
as opposed to a guy that's flatlining. Because flatlining guys typically will get passed up. That's crazy. I never, I never knew any of that. So that's, I think it's great just to kind of share it for some of our athletes out there that might be going to watch and are trying to pick it up. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, specializing, but we, you know, if a kid is debating, man, we tell them play, play multiple sports. You know, you, you're going to learn many different things, it, it, different coaches, you know, your basketball coach might be different than your, your football coach and, and the way they coach you and teach you, just like you come to Penn State, well, we may teach you different than Ohio State teaches you, you know, and you have to adapt just like future employers. One employer may be tough and stern. The other employer may call you and put your hand around you. You got to be able to adjust to survive life. <laughs> sure. I just went through that in my, in my day job. It's funny you say that. Yeah. Coach, people love Penn State and like just the whole football program is just to me it's just wonderful the amount of fans that just show up to like your games and like it's like a whiteout and or whatever like it's just fantastic to see that and I guess the point I'm gonna get to at is just like take us maybe just take can you take us through like a weekly basis of like during the season at Penn State and like how what like goes on each and like every day yeah so um you know it, as we're in game week you know obviously we end the game Saturday we come into Sunday and, and Sunday's a wrap-up of the previous day so for the coaches we come in early in the morning but the players don't report until essentially we have a three o'clock team meeting, but they have to, any player that's played in the game has to report by midday sometime to check in with the trainer, make sure they're just healthy and, and okay. Um, and just make sure sometimes you play in a game, your adrenaline's flowing, you don't realize that you got dinged up and you wake up and all of a sudden something's wrong. So for those situations, we want we make sure they all check in just so we can stay on top of it. And then on Sunday, the rest of that day, we, just, we watch the film and review it for corrections. Uh, we give all our accolades and, you know, accolades only come from victories. You know, if we lose, you, there's, there's no players at a game. So, you know, as we win, there's, there's players at a game, offense, defense, special team. We have scout team players of the week and those things. And then after reviewing the film, we go out, we get a great lift in. Uh, we get a great run in, a, a really hard run, try to get that lactic acid out. Uh, and then we go on the field and do corrections and, and, and review from the game to make sure anything that we did wrong or we didn't feel good about, we make the correction and then we move on. You know, coach will blow a horn midway through practice. That game is behind us. And then we do a, a little bit of a pre-scout for the next opponent, some walkthrough, and then, you know, we're off the field. Monday is an all-office day. Our players are off. It's a big academic day for them. And for the coaching staff, it's an office day where we're doing all game planning, uh, strategic planning, whatever is necessary uh, for pre preparation for the game. Tuesday is our first hard day of practice. Um, you know, we'll, we'll come in, you know, early in the afternoon, we'll have meetings, 
Uh, we'll have preparation, scouting reports prepared for the guys. Go out and practice two and a half hours. Uh, we come back in, the players are done. We will, the, the coaches, every day after practice, we come in and review the film for corrections. And then Wednesday, we have another hard day of practice, same routine. Wednesday also is a lift day. So our guys will, will grind the weight room up and uh, lift really hard that day. And then Thursday, uh, we start to taper things back, kind of the same routine Friday, kind of a game day walkthrough type of deal. And, you know, if we're at home, we go to the, the hotel on campus. If we're away, we hit the road and, and get there. And, uh, and Saturday, you wake up game day. You know, it's, uh, it's white out Saturdays. They're challenging. They're, they're, they're the funnest environment. But for players and coaches, the challenge and the toughness is the wait all day. You know, you, you, you have all day waiting on leaving the hotel, getting to the stadium, and the game's usually at 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night. And, and that's, the, that's the big challenge. But other than that, the atmosphere, it's electric. It's indescribable. <laughs> um, it, it's something that unless you experience it, you can watch it on TV and know that it's very good, but you're only doing it half justice. To, to be in this stadium, to experience it, there's nothing like it in the world. The Super Bowl doesn't even match it because the Super Bowl is split 50-50 with fans. Half on this team, half on that team. The whiteout is us. There's 110,000 people. 109,000 of them are ours. And so, it, you know, the energy, the student section, which is 25,000 deep, they don't sit down, which means – the rest of the stadium can't sit down, and they create a juice and an energy in there. I mean, last year in, the, in the, the whiteout game against Michigan, Michigan had to call a timeout on the first snap of the game. That's what the energy does in there. Think about that. The first play, they're coming off the sideline, and they can't communicate the play. It's never happened in football. And that's what the whiteout environment creates. So it's – it's, it's, it's just crazy. And any kid looking to play on the, the, the biggest stage, come play at Penn State. There's no bigger stage. There's no better stage. That's a great selling point. I mean, you got me sold. So kind of, I guess, looking elsewhere. So when you guys go on the road, what's, I guess, what's the favorite place to go road tripping to in the Big Ten? Yeah, there's no favorite road places. The locker rooms are all small. <laughs> it's tough living on the road. So, you know, the only road trips that are good are the bowl games, you know. So, but, you know, obviously there's some good places to play. You know, you go to Ohio State, the environment's going to be electric. You go up to Michigan in the big house, it's electric. One of the, the great places to play is Iowa. Uh, we, we've played there twice in the last three years at night. It's incredible. They have a, a children's hospital connected to the stadium. And during the first quarter, they turn the lights out and everyone lights their lights in salute to the, the kids and all they're going through. I mean, it's incredible. So the Big Ten has some of the best venues in all of college football. And, you know, it's, it's a great conference to play in. And uh, if you, you don't come play at Penn State, stay in the Big Ten and go play somewhere else because it, it's a great conference. I like that. If you don't choose Penn State, then at least choose the conference. 
<laughs> yeah, honestly, the Big Ten, in my opinion, is just like, if I'm out of all the conferences, like ACC, Penn State, um, not Penn State, Big Ten and all that, I would, Big Ten is definitely the most competitive and it's definitely the most fun to watch. Coach, take us, I don't know, like, coached all levels, high school, um, high school, FCS, FBS. What's it like, what's been the difference t- coaching at, like, high school, FCS, and FBS schools? Uh, really, the big difference is resources. Um, you know, I'm at Penn State where – we, we have the resources to recruit nationally. Um, you know, if we need certain software for our players or we need certain specialty, anything, we can get it. You know, when you're coaching at high school, you have no money. You have no resources. Uh, you got to make do with whatever you have. Um, you know, when you, you, you're coaching at Duquesne University, it's very similar to money. There's a little bit of money, but not a lot of money. Um, you're traveling everywhere on a bus, you know, places that Penn State would fly. You're traveling on a bus for six or seven hours. Um, you know, really, it's just it's, it's pretty much the resources. When it comes to coaching, it's all the same. You're, you're coaching kids. You're motivating kids. You're teaching them. You're inspiring them. Um, it, there's no difference between Gateway and Penn State or Duquesne or Temple, the places that I've coached. It's, it's all about trying to get a kid to do a certain deal uh, on the field and accomplish a certain goal. And so those things are all the same. Football is the same. You throw the ball, you catch the ball, you tackle the ball, you know, at all levels. If you don't do those fundamentals, you're not going to win at, at any level. And so, you know, sometimes people say, okay, well, you coached at Duquesne, and it's just, you know, they, they don't really play good. Yeah, they play really good football there. When I was at Duquesne, we had Lee Barton, who played two, six, seven, eight years in the NFL. There were great players there. It's great football. And football, you got to love football and enjoy football. And for, for recruits, the, the biggest challenge I challenge to all young prospects, find a place you fit. You know, yeah, we all dream to go to Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan. But if you don't fit there, your experience won't be good. If you find a place that fits, it may be Duquesne. It may be Robert Morris. It may be Slippery Rock or IUP. Wherever your fit is, it's going to help your career because it's proven over the history of sports the more success that you can have on the field, it, it affects your off the field. It affects your academics. And so if you go somewhere and you're not having great success, well, it's going to affect you. And so we, we just encourage kids to, to find the right fit for them. Don't chase the bells and whistles. Chase the fit. Chase where they can have a great career and it can impact the next 40 years of their career. No, that's a great viewpoint. I think, especially nowadays too, so many kids, it's just, you know, you, you chase like the big picture when you, when they lose sight of what could be best for them. So I think that's great to kind of just hear. And something I'm kind of wondering that's kind of a little bit off topic of this. So I'll see you had a great career playing at Penn State. So kind of like, what was it like once that was done, like with potentially going pro and kind of like work, like what happened with that? 
So I had an opportunity. I got drafted by the Washington Redskins. Um, went through camp and those things. Didn't make the roster. I ended up signing with Toronto Organauts um, for for a season. Then I played two years in a Canadian, two more years in the Canadian League, and one year in Arena League. And so, at a point, we all have to make that decision of the transition to life after. And and that's why you choose a place like Penn State because we all hang the cleats up. Some sooner than later, probably more sooner than later, and some were fortunate to go and play, you know, for, for many, many years. But at one point, we're going to hang these cleats up. And so what's next? That transition is the scariest thing for athletes. Here we are as football players that started playing football when we're five, six, seven, eight, or nine years old, and you've played it all your life. Now all of a sudden your body's not cooperating the same way or you just, whatever the reason, you can't play football anymore and you got to transition into life. And that's why Penn State's there. You know, they prepare you for it. We get a great education at Penn State. Our alumni association is the largest in the world. Uh, you know, we have the largest dues paying alumni association. Those people are all there willing and able to help and support you through your transition. And it doesn't, hurt any that if you have a great a good career while you're playing at Penn State it it, it you know they, they just know who you are even more so so but they're there to support you and they're there to pick up the pieces and to help you and we have alumni chapters in every major city in the country uh, and 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 there's opportunities to help and, and that's what Penn State Nation does they they help you through that transition and help you connect the dots to get a job that fits for you Kind of speak about like how, like how you guys do a good job helping, because I've got a lot of friends going to Penn State, and one of the things they always told me I was Thon. So like, what's one of the biggest things like the football team has done for Thon? Maybe or kind of that you've seen in your time there. So the beauty of the football team is, you know, we're obviously all big supporters of Thon. Um, you know, it's the largest philanthropy, student-run philanthropy in the world. Um, the Penn State students annually raise over $10 million for it. Uh, it's an incredible in, event. It's, it's incredible how they perform and put this thing on. Uh, the football players obviously have a little role in it. They, each of our freshman classes have to do a dance or a skit. Every team at Penn State does it and they do it. It's a competition to win. Um, so they, they contribute that way. We do fundraisers on the side. We, we do all kind of different fundraisers that help support Thon. And uh, the Penn State football team does more uh, community service hours than any other team at Penn State. And so we believe in giving back. Um, you know, to much is given, much is required. We, we take that and, and live by that. And, and we want to make sure that we mold and mentor our players to understand the importance of giving back and our guys embrace it and man, they run with it. Wow. That's great to hear. Just the amount of, uh, can, just like the way just your team like gives back, tries to like donate. It's just like really touching to hear. Um, Coach, kind of want to talk about, 
back in your days at Gateway, as a coach there, your son, Justin, you had the opportunity to coach him. What was it like just coaching one of your sons in high school football? It was a blessing, you know, to, to have the opportunity to coach him. Justin was a fabulous kid. He was a fabulous athlete. Uh, never gave me and his mom any problems. Um, you know, coaching him was easy. He, he wanted to be a great player, so he was motivated to work. Uh, he earned everything he got. Obviously, he was very talented. He could run. I mean, he ran 4-3-1 at the NFL Combine, which still ranks in the top 20 all time. Um, you know, he was gifted, but he, he worked hard at it. You know, I challenged him. One of the, the biggest sayings we had in the house was, you know, do you want to be good or do you want to be great? You know, because we all have those challenging days for the workout. And so the being good, well, you, you already have natural ability. You're already a pretty good football player. You know, we can just sit here and chill and you can be good. But if you want to be great and have the opportunity to succeed at the next level, which is college, and then the next level, which is the NFL, well, you got to work toward stardom. You got to work to be great. You, you can't be good. There's, there's a ton of good players out there. Every high school football team has a good player or two or three or more. But that doesn't make you good enough to be an elite athlete to go to Division I in the Big Ten or the SEC or the Pac-12. You got to separate yourself and, and you got to have that motivation and drive. And he had that. You know, he, he wanted it. He worked harder than anybody else on the team. Um, you know, he won every sprint. He won every conditioning. He, he, he pounded the weights. He was fast. He was athletic. And, uh, and he was smart in school. You know, he went to Penn State and graduated in three years. Um, he was focused. He was driven. And he reaped the rewards of, of his hard work. That's, that's great to hear. Um, I heard recently he got a job somewhere in the XFL. Is that true? Yeah, he, he did. And unfortunately, the XFL has uh, since, you know, with this COVID-19 epidemic, it's, uh, it's changing everything and changing a lot of people's lives. So, you know, that's kind of a um, something that's going on right now. So, you know, he had worked for Penn State for two years and then went to help set up the XFL working in their administrative front office. Uh, and, and the league was doing a great job. It had a great product on the field. And, and they were doing great things until COVID-19 just, you know, took over and just, you know, no one can, can plan for that type of situation. Yeah, because, I mean, the first couple of weeks, I mean, I thought the XFL was doing decent with the, what they were putting out there. I mean, it was kind of a bummer that they had to close it up. but Yeah, it's, uh, they, they had a good product. You know, the football brand was good. And, uh, you know, a couple of local kids, Kenny Robinson, you mm -hmm. know, gave him an opportunity to shine. He goes and gets drafted because of what he put out there. And, uh, you know, Drayvon Henry, a kid from Aliquippa, same thing. So, it's, it's big time. You know, it was an opportunity for more kids to get a chance to get on that stage and show, hey, you know, I, I deserve an opportunity. So, 
you know, kudos to those guys. They've worked hard and, uh, you know, they're Western PA guys. So, like I said, I root for them all. And amen to that. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we're all the whippy, all right? That's right. <laughs> amen. Coach, what would you say – what do you enjoy about the whippy? Just like overall, just as an organization and all. Uh, you know, in the WPI, I, I like the competitiveness. Um, the WPI is known for great coaching. Uh, I mean, you have some of the sharpest minds. So you go back in the day, like I had Pete Annamarino. Um, you know, obviously there's Art Bernardi that was at Butler. And, you know, North Hills had a great coach. There's Mount Lebanon had a great coach and Coach Walker. And then you had the next generation coming through, like Art Walker and Terry Totten. And, you know, I'm missing some. Jim Renders are out there. Um, and then now there's the new generation, Eric Kasparovich and – you know, there's just some young, great – there's always great coaching in the West – in the WPIL. So, you know, and along with great coaching, there's always great talent to be coached, and it's hungry talent. And I think the WPI was so special because of the Roonies and the Steelers. They lay such a great foundation for the area of work ethic, togetherness, pride, um, just fortitude to always battle through – and, and then it trickles out into the community. And, uh, you know, it's just it's great football. I love WPIL and, uh, you know, it's just it's big time ball. Big time ball. Say amen to that. So, BY, did you have anything or? Um, I've, you think, uh, Coach? What would you say as a coach at Penn State so far? What would you think, like, what would you say is, like, one of your biggest wins, you would think, just as a whole program? Like, maybe, like, your best comeback win or just, like, anything like that? So, for me, I've been there six seasons, and the, the, the win that I like to kind of put a statement on our success at Penn State is back in 2016, we beat Minnesota. At the time, we were two and two. We just got beat. We got, we got hammered by Michigan. We lost to Pitt that year. Um, you know, our, our season was kind of up in the air. We didn't know what direction we were going. We played Minnesota at home. The game goes into overtime. We get an interception. We stop them. Saquon becomes Saquon and does something he does. Scores on this miraculous play uh, run in overtime. And it was a great comeback victory that changed Penn State to this day. We go on to win the next nine games. We won nine games in a row. We win the Big Ten Championship. We go to the Rose Bowl that year. Since we've been in New Year, a New Year's Six Bowl game, three out of the last four seasons, the one year we didn't, we really should have got it. Um, we, we've won 11 games three times. We've been rolling ever since. And it was that Minnesota game that, that pulled us together. It rallied us as a team and as a unit and, and gave us the, the fortitude 
to be good. And, and that's the game. And if you ask fans, no one would ever think that game. They would say, oh, when you beat Ohio State in the, in the whiteout when they blocked the kick or, you know, some other – that Minnesota game changed all of our, our futures. That's incredible just looking back to, like, literally that game. I mean, I guess sometimes you just forget about how, how powerful, like, those comebacks or those moments can really have for the whole landscape of the season. Yeah, we lose that, we go two and three, and I guarantee the season's not the same. Coach, I can ask any person who's coached, like, any sports, like, any level whatsoever. So I'm going to just ask you this. What's the type of culture that you think you and your other coaches on Penn State's football team tried to create? First and foremost, family. Uh, we we want to have a family environment where we care about our guys, care about our, our, our student athletes and their families. Uh, you know, and especially in today's times with COVID-19, you know, family's more important than ever. It's all we have. And so it, our players are our family. And we want to make sure that we don't want to compromise any decision making that jeopardizes our student athletes. You know, we want to make all decisions for the good of them and for the sake of them. And, and that's, that's our driving factor. You know, again, it's, you know, we're, we're a blessed organization. I'm a blessed individual because our heart is right for these young people and we're doing the best that we can for these young people. So, you know, that's, that's what we strive for is family, um, take care of each other, uh, be there in a time of need, uh, support, you know, when, when we're needed and, um, you know, through good and bad, let, let's, let's lean on each other. That's wonderful yeah. to hear. Especially the lean on each other part. I think it's just a nice, easy reminder for everyone out there still. Yeah, you know, more than ever, you know, we, we the world as we knew it is different. Mm -hmm. and, and we all have to adjust to new norms. And, um, you know, whether you're on the left side of the political spectrum or the right, it really doesn't matter today. You know, we, we've got to come together as a people to, to join the fight to fight this, this ep epidemic and, uh, you know, try to get back to a normal way of life or a new normal way of life and, uh, and stay safe and healthy. Yeah, as um, me personally, it's just staying at home right now. Like we just, like me, like me and Nick could probably say it too, we've just all found, found things to do. Like, us at Cover 3 Athletics, like, me and Nick have talked about this. Like, if this COVID-19 pandemic, like, never even happened, probably wouldn't even, like, have thought of the idea of starting this podcast and, like, interviewing all of these coaches and all that. So, yeah, I agree. Um, Nick, do you have anything else to say? I don't know. I think, I think Coach Terry, you had a lot of good insight and like a lot, like I said, we kind of covered a lot. So we really appreciate you coming on with us tonight and I'll see what you guys like going forward. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, you guys asked a lot of really good questions. Um, genuine interest. I, I appreciate the, uh, 
the genuine interview. It was it was really good and refreshing. Uh, hey, we appreciate that a lot. And honestly, just you know your involvement and how you care. I mean, that's about being genuine. That's what matters. So. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank yes, you. Thank you. We wish we wish your Penn State team luck in 2020, and we hope you continue to stay safe during this difficult time. I appreciate it. Okay. Have a good night, guys. Thank, thank you. you. You too.